Good morning and welcome to this time of studying God's Word. Thank you for being with us, for worshiping God already this morning. I look forward to seeing many of you next week at 11. I wanted to remind you of something in the midst of all this national crisis and turmoil. We tend to forget that ordinary life goes on, and this weekend is Memorial Day weekend. This is the time of the year when we remember the men and women who gave their lives so we could be free, so we could be safe. Uh, my dad served in Vietnam in 1969, the year before I was born, and he emailed me this week and, and said, he, he talked about what his thoughts were at this Memorial Day time. Uh, dad served in a battalion in Vietnam that their main job was processing people coming in and out of the country, GIs who were going out on leave or going home, and then GIs who were coming in for the first time, coming straight from the States, and, and he processed them and made sure they got to the right place in country. And he said, you know, this year I'm just thinking about all those hundreds of guys that I met and sent to their, uh, to their final unit and wondering how many of those guys actually made it home and how many of them paid the ultimate price. We, as Christians, we serve a God who paid the ultimate price to rescue us. And so we're uh, in a special position, uh, able to understand the gravity of this day. So let's remember that this year. Our freedom truly isn't free. Today we start a new worship, a new sermon series, uh, Daniel, Profile of a Difference Maker. And we here at First Baptist, we believe, and we're not the only ones, but we believe that our job as Christians is not just to hold on to old traditions, carry on the great doctrines of the faith, as important as that is. It's not just to be people who come to church on Sundays when other people are staying home. That's not the point. The point of our lives as believers in Jesus is we're supposed to make a difference. Jesus said, you are a light, you're salt, you're, you're a city set on a hill. People should see our good works and glorify our God who is in heaven. This year at First Baptist is all about preparing us, our church, for a 10-year vision in which over those 10 years, we want to see members of this church make a difference in the lives of 10,000 different people, 10,000 transforming relationships. And so we're looking at Daniel just like we've looked at other characters in Scripture throughout this year and seeing what did God do through his life. Remember, God is telling a story through your life, a story that will touch the lives of many other people if you'll let him. What did God do in Daniel to make a difference, to change his world? And I want to start with Daniel 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This sermon is really just going to be an overview of the rest of the series, just to get us ready. Starting next week, we'll get into the more interesting stories, but this is just the preface, you might say. Daniel 1, 1 through 7, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans." The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Az Azariah he called Abednego. 
So years ago, when my son Will was an unborn child in my wife's womb, so this is over 16 years ago, over 17 really, um, we went on a movie date to see the movie Bruce Almighty. And if you've never seen the movie, it's the story of a TV reporter who has an encounter with God. The reporter's played by Jim Carrey. God is played by Morgan Freeman. And that sounds like a recipe for blasphemy, I know, but I was pleasantly surprised. I remember being amazed at how many things they got right, how many, uh, I thought, very valid and profound points they made about, about grace, about God's sovereignty, about why all of our prayers can't be answered the way we want them to be answered, about uh, why God sometimes lets us have our way instead of forcing us to do things his way. And I found out later the, the director of the movie is a Christian, so that sort of made sense. It was also very funny. There are a couple of scenes, I won't tell you which ones, in which my wife laughed so hard I was afraid the baby wasn't getting enough oxygen. I was literally afraid of that. Uh, and then the movie ends in what I thought at the time was kind of a, a, a deflating note. Because the end of the movie, I'm not giving away the way it ends, but the moral of the story is be the miracle. In other words, God is saying to Bruce, listen, stop expecting me to fix all your problems. Go out and do it yourself. Be the miracle. And at the time, I walked away thinking, okay, it was a nice movie, but that end point kind of left me flat. It, it sounded like typical Hollywood, don't trust in God, trust in yourself, human potential nonsense. But then the more I thought about it, the more I thought, in a way, and I don't know if this is what the filmmakers had in mind or not, it's biblical. Because think about it. When you read the Scriptures, does God intervene in human history? Does God work miracles in the world? Yes, He parts the seas. He pours out plagues upon the oppressors of His people. He stills a storm. He feeds a crowd. He raises the dead. But those are rare. Those things happen every once in a while. God's not constantly intervening and doing miraculous things. Instead, what He tends to do, the way He tends to do His work is He chooses ordinary people. He chooses flawed human beings, men and women who seem weak, who seem ill-equipped. He puts them in what seem like impossible situations, facing unsurmountable barriers, and he does amazing things through them. He changes the world through people. And so it's literally true that we get to be the miracle that God is working on earth when we choose to say, okay, God, the circumstances of my life, the circumstances of my world are terrible, and I refuse to take it lying down. Show me what I can do. You've given me gifts, you've given me abilities, you've given me opportunities, let me not miss them. And the, the perfect example of that, that scenario is Daniel. Daniel was a young man born six centuries before Jesus, born into an aristocratic family, life set up for a, a very happy and successful life until all of a sudden something unexpected to everybody but God happened, and that was the invasion of the land of Judah by Babylon. Now, at the time, Babylon was the largest, most powerful empire on earth. They're, they were led by Nebuchadnezzar, a, a ruthless, ambitious uh, military genius uh, whose, whose whole goal was to make the greatest empire on earth. And at the time, he accomplished it. Babylon invaded Judah. Judah was conquered. And Daniel found himself and some of the best and brightest young men in Judah carried away into captivity in Babylon. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had an interesting viewpoint. You might even say, in spite of his bloodthirsty nature, you might even say he was enlightened. In those days, most kings, most leaders didn't want anybody serving under them who didn't look like them. But Nebuchadnezzar's idea was, well, why not just take the best, the smartest, the most gifted people from all the countries that I conquer and make them part of my government? That way I'll have the best people in the world. 
And that's what happened to Daniel. Daniel was a young man, probably a teenager. He and his three friends that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you probably are just now finding out those are actually their Babylonian names, not their given names. Those four boys and probably many other Jewish young men were carried away into captivity. They were essentially placed in a, in a university education setting where they were taught the language and customs of Babylon. They were given the names of Babylonian gods to be their new names. They were taught how to be good Babylonians, to reject the way they were raised. They had the knowledge that they would never see their families again, would never walk the streets of Jerusalem or see the land of Judah again. The Bible doesn't say this explicitly, but it strongly implies that they were made into eunuchs because that was commonly done in the ancient world when you worked in the court of the king. So in a, in a very literal sense, Daniel has lost everything. So how's he going to respond? More importantly, how is God going to respond? Think about it. In all the world at that time, there was one nation on earth that proclaimed the name of Yahweh, and that was Judah. Not even Israel. Israel, the northern ten tribes of Israel, had been conquered and, and wiped out a century and a half before by the Assyrians. So all that was left was the little land of Judah. They were the only ones who were praying to Yahweh, and now they were conquered. What would God do to vindicate His name, to rescue His people? Well, I got news for you. He doesn't do an outward miracle like pouring out fire from heaven or opening, opening up the earth and swallowing Nebuchadnezzar. No, He does something very different. He chooses these four young men, these four teenage boys, and says, they're going to be my miracles. They're the ones who are going to do my work. And let me just give you a spoiler here. By the end of Daniel's life, after he's lived nearly 100 years, he's achieved the highest level of power in Babylon twice, next only to the king. He speaks God's truth to three different emperors. He converts two of them, makes them believers in Yahweh. He leaves the third quaking in fear of the wrath of God. And in the end, he witnesses the deliverance of his people. Daniel lives to see his people go home and rebuild Jerusalem and resume their lives of serving God. So he literally changed the world. Now, you and I should be able to identify with Daniel, not in terms of, of trial and circumstance. Obviously, most of us have never been uh, in, in a nation that's been invaded and conquered by hostile power. We've never been uh, captured and taken away into exile. But we know what it is to live in a land where most of the people don't share our values, where most of the people don't worship our God, where our circumstances discourage us, where we have a tendency to say, God, why? Why are things this way? So how can we follow the example of Daniel? Here at the outset of this study, what, what do we need in order to be ready to be difference makers, miracles, walking miracles in the world around us? Three things we see in Daniel. Number one, use what God gives us. See, Daniel had every reason to collapse in despair and just give up on life. He could have even taken his own life, and no one would have judged him for it. He might have done what a lot of us would do. He might have gotten angry and stubborn and refused to go to class and, and refused to serve the king of Babylon. After all, this guy conquered his nation and defiled his temple and took him away. But Daniel didn't do that either. Instead, what did he do? He went to school. He learned the lessons that were placed before him. He was an outstanding student. He ended up head of his class. And in the process he discovered that he had two very notable gifts. God has endowed every one of us with some kind of calling, some kind of gift. Daniel found out what his gifts were. Number one, he had a gift of prophecy. 
Prophecy means he was able to see the world through God's eyes and, and communicate to everyone around him, here's what God is doing, here's what God is planning, here's what you need to do to get in step with God. He became a powerful prophet. Second of all, he found out he had an amazing skill as an administrator and advisor to the king. He became a gifted politician. And we, we roll our eyes when we hear that word, and yet don't we all want to have leaders, men and women in office, who have courage and who have integrity and who have our best interests in heart and who are led by God himself? That's what Daniel was. And so Daniel, because of these two gifts, found his calling, and that was to serve God in the court of the king of Babylon. And he did an outstanding job of it. He used what God gave him. You and I have a tendency, a, a terrible tendency, to feel sorry for ourselves, to compare ourselves to others and say, well, I'd be more successful if I'd had parents who were more supportive like his were, or if I'd married somebody like she married, or if I were as wealthy as him, or if I were as talented as her, or if I had the kind of breaks that he's gotten. It's very easy for us to, to list reasons why we can't do what we want to do. And I'm here to tell you that our self-pity gets in the way of us accomplishing God's will far more than any external circumstances. Satan himself does not get in our way as much as our own self-pity does. So my challenge to you, and I literally mean this, is sit down during your quiet time today or tomorrow and just say, God, this is the life you've put me in. This is the family you've placed me in. This is the body you've given me. These are, the, this is, these are the finances and the resources I have. These are the circumstances I'm facing, the obstacles and the opportunities. I thank you for every single one of them because none of them is an accident. I thank you even for the ones that I don't like that I wish were different because I know that you make no mistakes and you can, you can give me the strength to, in, to overcome these obstacles, to overcome these weaknesses and become the person I'm called to be. God, I thank you for my life. Now help me to live the life you've called me to live. That is what I mean by saying, use what God gives us. That's how you become a difference maker. Number two, build godly character. You want to talk about a miracle. A miracle is not just when a blind person can see or a sick person gets well. A miracle is when the person you are becomes someone completely different. I shared this at our first two worship services. Yesterday was uh, our wedding anniversary, Carrie and I, and I thought back to, as I always do at this time of year, when we were first married and how unsuited we were for one another, even though I was convinced that I'd married the right person, and I still am. It was so difficult because I, I came to realize to my shock and amazement that I couldn't stay the same and be a good husband, and she couldn't stay the same and be a good wife. We both had to grow. We both had to become different people. And that is even more true in your walk with God. Not that God's going to reject you if you don't change. He loves you just the way you are. It's just that he loves you too much to leave you that way. And you can't live out God's purpose for your life unless you grow. Daniel did not start out being a giant of faith. As you, as you read the story, as we study the story over these next several weeks, you're going to be amazed at the, at the character of this man. Integrity so airtight, even his worst enemies couldn't accuse him of anything. Uh, a courage so profound, so unstoppable, he could stand before the most powerful man on earth over and over again and tell him the hard truth, even when it wasn't what the king wanted to hear. Righteousness and faith so sincere that in the midst of Daniel's life, while he was still alive, the prophet Ezekiel was talking to God in Ezekiel 14, 14. God said, the three most godly people I know of were Job and Noah and Daniel. And you and I may say, yeah, but 
that's Daniel. I mean, he's a biblical hero. I'm not Daniel. I'm not Deborah. I'm not Mary. I'm not, I'm not John the Baptist. I can't be those people. But what we don't realize is those people didn't start out that way. They weren't born righteous from the womb. They were sinners just like us. God changed them over time, and He can do that for you too. There's a great story in John chapter 5 in which Jesus heals a man who's been crippled for decades. But before He heals him, He asks the man a question. He says, do you want to be healed? And you and I might look at that and say, what kind of question is that? Who wouldn't want to be healed? But think about it. If this man has been has spent his whole life, essentially his whole life, sitting by the pool of Bethesda begging for alms. To be healed means all of that's got to change. It means now he's got to get a job and work for himself. No one's going to give alms to someone who's able-bodied. It means he loses his identity. He becomes a different person, someone who no longer has that, uh, that sense of people feel sorry for me and I'm a, I'm a victim and therefore that's who I am. No, he has to take on a new identity. And the man says to Jesus, yes, I want to be healed. And Jesus heals him. And the thing is, I think God would say the same thing to us today. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to become the person I created you to be? Do you want to be healed of the sins that are holding you back? Do you want to become holy, set apart for me? Next week, we're going to look at the the topic of holiness and how Daniel shows us uh, what it means to become set apart for God. But do you really want that? Honestly, a lot of Christians will say, you know, I'm happy being mediocre, I'm happy being sort of a bench warmer Christian. And God says, no, don't settle for that. I have the power to create something incredible in your life, something miraculous, something the whole world will be in awe of if you'll let me build a godly character. The world needs to see that. And then third, if you want to be a difference maker, if you want to be the miracle God created you to be, yes, build a godly character. Yes, use what God gave you, but become powerful in prayer. You can't do without this one. I don't want you to think that this is some kind of a, a human potential, you can do it, pep talk kind of sermon, because it's not. Daniel could not do this on his own. Neither can you or I. Daniel accomplished what he accomplished because his whole life was drenched in prayer every single day. He prayed so diligently, so faithfully. Later on, you're going to see that Daniel would pray every day, several times a day, facing Jerusalem with his window open. And he did that even when it meant a death sentence, even when it became against the law to do so. Because he knew, without this, without the power God gives me, I am nothing. I have no shot. Jesus talks about it in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's quite an image because we all know what it looks like when you cut a branch off of a a shrub or a tree. And it's not long before that cut plant withers and dies. Even if you stick it in water, it's not going to stay around forever. It has to be attached to its source of life. You and I need to recognize that we are nothing without Jesus in us. I don't know why any Christian would wake up in the morning and and just zoom on through their day checking Facebook and, and eating breakfast and listening to talk radio and not take time to say to God, Lord, I'm about to face the day. I don't know what's gonna happen today, but you do. So give me strength, give me wisdom, give me guidance, show me the way. It, it's as dumb as driving down a highway at night with your with your headlights off. You're literally just assuming nothing bad's gonna happen. Why not instead acknowledge before God, Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you. Please go with me. If you don't go with me, I'm not going. So 
How do we respond in a time of crisis, in a time of need, when your marriage is failing and you're struggling? Do you pray about it? Absolutely. Do you pray that God will heal the relationship? I hope you do. But also pray that God would change you. You get the opportunity to be a miracle. You get the opportunity to show your spouse, God has changed me. I now love you truly, much more truly than I did before. Let God transform you. When you have a friend who contracts a, a, a terrible disease, let's say cancer, pray for a miracle, pray for a healing, absolutely, and God sometimes grants that. But either way, pray, Lord, in the midst of their struggle, use me. And maybe that means that you're the person who drives them to their appointments. Maybe it means that, that you take up some of the slack that they can't fill because they're exhausted, mowing their yards, watching their kids, cleaning their house. Maybe it just means you're there for them to sit and talk and listen and pray. When we witness the depravity of our world, when we witness the decline of our culture, it's very easy for us to give up and to say, uh, this, this is a terrible world. Why was I born now? Why not earlier days when things were better? Of course, I would remind you in earlier days, they didn't have air conditioning or indoor plumbing, so maybe the good old days weren't quite so good. But even so, as we sit and we lament the decline of our culture, should we pray for revival? Yes, and I hope you are. But remember, revival is something that doesn't happen to unbelievers. It happens to God's people. Revival starts in us. So be the miracle. Come to God and say, Lord, what is there in me that stands in the way of being totally revived? And Lord, if revival breaks out in me, let it spread throughout my church. Let it spread throughout all the churches of Montgomery County. Let it spread throughout this state, throughout this nation, throughout this world. God wants to use you and me. He wants to accomplish His work, His will through us. When I was in seminary, we lived in Fort Worth. We attended Wedgwood Baptist Church. That was a church where a lot of seminary students attended because the preacher there was so good. His name was Dr. Al Meredith. We called him Brother Al. Um, he had been a history professor before God called him into the ministry. Um, and, and I remember about a year and a half after we had moved away from Fort Worth and I was now a pastor of my own church, there was a tragic thing that happened at Wedgwood. It was September Wednesday night. See you at the poll day. They were having a, a youth rally in the sanctuary, hundreds of kids in the pews and adults, and a man who had no connection to the church walked in and began firing uh, uh, several different uh, firearms into that sanctuary. Fourteen people were shot. Seven died. Now, it's been over 20 years since that happened. It's sad to say there have been a lot more mass shootings since then, and a lot of them uh, much more bloody than the Wedgwood uh, incident. And so this one's been largely forgotten, but I still remember. And I remember that at the time it happened, this was a relatively new phenomenon. And so it made nationwide news, international news, in fact. And I remember being shocked. I remember being sad, but I also remember thinking, I can't think of another pastor who's better positioned for this moment than Al Meredith. This was a guy who was very intelligent, who had the right temperament, who was humble. And, and I knew he was the right person for that situation. And so in the days to come, as I watched him interviewed on the Today Show and Good Morning America and Larry King Live and Nightline and shows like that, every time consistently I saw him answer questions with grace and humility 
and, and the Word of God. I saw him uh, speak the gospel in a profound and compelling way. I, I saw that he got to go to the White House and meet with President Clinton. He got to sit with George Bush when he was governor of our state, future president, and counsel and pray with him. He preached the, the memorial services of all seven people who passed away. And, and so those were viewed, many of them, on live television. One of them was actually viewed live nationwide in Saudi Arabia because the deceased family lived there. And the Saudi government that usually suppresses any, any expression of the gospel, let that, let that worship service in which the gospel was clearly presented be aired nationwide in that nation. And, and so many things happened in the days ahead as the church uh, publicly forgave the shooter's family and the news stories continued to run and r- radio stations had to rerun interviews that they did with Brother Al because people kept calling them saying, I want to hear that again. They got stories of people coming to know Christ in, in Fort Worth and across Texas and across America and even in places as distant as Japan. And I look back at that and I think about how Brother Al could have stopped and said, Lord, why, why is this happening to me? He could have gotten angry. He could have blamed other people, the education system, the police, the media, atheists, gun dealers, anybody, any convenient target. Instead, he took what God gave him and he used it. He had the character for this moment. He was steeped in prayer and God did amazing things. You know, the the thing is, God could have stopped any of that from happening. He could have stopped that man from walking into that sanctuary with his guns, but he didn't, and we don't know why. God could have stopped Daniel from being, being abducted when he was a teenager, just like he could have stopped any of the numerous tragedies you and I go through, the hard times we're experiencing right now. God could stop them, but he doesn't, and we don't know why, but we do know this. God chose, in Daniel's case, in Al Meredith's case, to work a very different kind of miracle. And the world was changed for good. So how about you? How about me? When our circumstances aren't what we want them to be, when our country is struggling, when our lives are at an impasse, are we going to whine about it? Are we going to get mad at God for not answering our prayers the way we prayed them? Are we, not, are we going to lose faith because he hasn't fixed our circumstances like we want him to? Or are we going to say, okay, Lord, I know you're in charge and I know, what you're, I know you know what you're doing, so use me to accomplish your purpose in the midst of this pain. Help me to be a part of your miracle. Are you going to do that? Do you have the faith to do that? Tell him so today. You see, the reason we can have absolute faith in God is because once when God was in the form of Jesus, came to this world in a far more dire situation than either Daniel or Brother Al or anything we'll ever face. The whole world was in flames. The whole world was going down. And Jesus had options. He could have walked away and let us destroy ourselves. He could have have destroyed us in the fires of his wrath. That would have been justified. After all, we were out to kill him. But instead, he worked his greatest miracle of all. He destroyed our sin by nailing it to the cross. He destroyed death by dying in our place and rising again the third day. So to me, that sounds like exactly the kind of God you can commit your life to absolutely and have knowledge, confidence that great things are going to happen.